0: No, but seriously, Trevor, I need another drink.
1: <laughs> Hello and welcome to Witch Please, a fortnightly podcast about the Harry Potter world. I'm Marcel Cosman. I'm Hannah McGregor.
2: I'm Neil Barnholden. And I'm Trevor Chow Fraser.
1: And this is a Hippogriff Baby. Okay, well, we'll hear from him later. <laughs> That's right, witches. We've got the whole Witch Please family home for the holidays, and today we're going to bring you something special. A detailed book-by-book analysis of how Hogwarts celebrates the holidays, accompanied by some liberal consumption of non-dairy eggnog-like beverage and a few jingle bell sound effects. oh wait no i have dialogue
0: yeah but before we start what will surely prove to be an exhaustive analysis let's get all our sugar plums in a row in the sorting chat i want to start off by saying that like hogwarts has this amazing aesthetic capacity to capture all of my most like dickensian christmas fantasies like there's something about the the pre-existing setting of hogwarts that makes it feel extra special Christmassy.
2: No, I hear what you're saying. It reminds me of in versions of A Christmas Carol when they do Christmas past, right? Mm, the the yeah. previous Christmases where everyone is having a good time and they're all quite drunk. But, I mean, it's it's Dickens, so it's not so, too surprising. But yeah, there's something about something about that kind of warmth that things are festooned with things. Yes, it's it. so good, yeah. Lots and the ghosts. <laughs> you're, you're thinking of the
3: ghosts,
0: obviously.
2: Yeah, also the fact that it is Haunted. Haunted. <laughs>
0: Like any true Christmas story, Trevor says. There's also a lot of candles, which you can't really do in real life without burning shit down. But in a magical world, it can be all candles all the time.
1: Oh, yeah. Like every time I try to float candles in the air, they just like fall down and spill wax all over the place. And like Hanukkah is ruined.
0: <laughs> so we often like to set the scene for, oh, for where we're recording. So we're actually recording this um, in the home of... Marcel and Trevor and baby hippogriff and several cats. <laughs> it is the home of several cats. Wow. It is lovely. It's very festive in here. It's very warm. Oh, we have. Ah, oh, guys, I'm out of rum. It's a real bummer. Okay, while I'm while I'm setting the scene, I want Trevor to make me another rum and eggnog.
3: Well, I'll just grab it from that um, cabinet that just appeared. <gasps> oh. that's like a Chow Fraser Cosman-sized liquor cabinet for sure. <laughs>
1: Trevor, when did we get that huge cabinet? I guess I'll just open that door and see what's on the other side. Whoa,
0: whoa, look, look at that. There's something there's something behind all of the multiple liquor bottles inside this cabinet. Is it Narnia? It probably is. Guys,
1: let's go to Narnia. Selfish everywhere what's this a dragon in its lair what's this i can't believe my eyes i must be dreaming me oh my this isn't fair what's this
3: what's this what's this there's something very wrong what's this that garden singing songs what's yes. this the hills are full of elves and dwarves and hobbits out for gold and secret treasure through the
2: mountains on adventure what is this what's this Wizards singing folk songs instead of blasting spells They seem to live forever, unlike Nicholas Flamel Can Gandalf really magic? He's really good with swords Is history the real magic here? I simply can't decide
0: Look, what's this? He's forged an evil ring One ring to give to every king Inspired, one ring to rule them all And in the dark to him he'll bind them, oh my gods What's this? this it's sam gaze deep in frodo's eyes how queer get up that mountainside or die if sauron gets the ring of power elves and humans all will cower and war will come to everyone now correct me if i'm wrong this looks like fun this looks like fun could it be i've got my wish what's this
3: oh my but now the doors are all kaput and look a barrack underfoot, Nazguls, ghouls, orcs and trolls and orientals, oliphants and trees. Don't start making conies, do you'll never get to
2: eat? Sigh. What's this? The Ministry is missing and no Death Eaters in sight, and in their place there seems to be a big red flaming eye. Instead, if he who can't be named, here ring rates on the wing. If you want him, come and claim him. What's with this damn
1: ring? The sights, the sounds, they're everywhere and all around. I've never felt so good before. This empty place inside of me is filling up. I simply cannot get enough. I want it, oh I want it, oh I want it for my own. I've got to know, I've got to know, what is this place, with? so much mirth what is this middle earth
0: Welcome to Tolkien Female Characters, our semi-monthly podcast about the representation of women in the works of Tolkien. I'm Hannah McGregor. I'm Marcel Cosman.
2: I'm Neil Barnholden, your Tolkien male co-host. And I'm Trevor Chow Fraser, your erstwhile armorer.
0: Today we bring you episode 3.7 of Tolkien Female Characters, in which we continue our discussion of the extended version of The Fellowship of the Ring.
1: But before we get into who wears their braids best, let's rehash our feelings about the movie in our first segment, Second Breakfast
0: so okay. yeah, yeah. You like marcel you should start us in here should this i movie is so close to your heart if this
1: movie is so close to my heart if i had to live on a desert island with for some inexplicable reason a blu-ray player and a and a flat screen television and only one blu-ray film it would be the extended edition of the fellowship of the ring because i am so into Trevor, Trevor,
0: try
1: harder. <laughs> <laughs> i told you mixes them light um because i'm or so no into more. Because I am so into the.
2: Oh my god, burn it to the ground.
3: <laughs> I know that we're talking about the Fellowship of the Ring, but really, the key culinary moment in the whole series comes do in it. the next one. Don't do it! And Don't I do know.
1: It. You- I can't stand it. <laughs> I can't stand it. Oh my god, I can't believe you brought it up. I'm still so upset that after what is probably months of traveling and eating nothing but fucking Lembus bread, Gollum gets some goddamn rabbits and Sam is going to make a brace of Coney stew and he makes this delicious looking Coney stew and then they never get to eat it because like goddamn Faramir shows up and is like, I need to prove something to my father. So you guys are coming with me. So we were just rewatching
0: Fellowship of the Ring this morning and thinking through, like, I have, I have this place in my heart for Ian McKellen's OPS. That's, that's, uh, that's baby weighing in. I have this place in my heart for Sir Ian McKellen's portrayal of Gandalf that is not, it is not matched by my fondness. Like, I like Sir Ian McKellen fine, but I don't love him. And I like Gandalf in the books fine. I don't love him. But I love Gandalf in these movies. Mm -hmm. I want him to be my brother, teacher, dad, Mm -hmm. friend. I've just everything. I just also I want to be him. Mm -hmm. Like I would really like to be him when I grow up, if I could manage that somehow. And we were talking about how part of it part of it is the kind of wizard that he is. That there is something like he's sort of a scholar wizard, right? We have that great scene of him doing research.
2: Yeah, I I really appreciate the fact that uh, Gandalf hits the books when he starts to suspect that something is going on with the ring. There's that whole scene of him reading the primary documents that tell the history of the ring. And I just think that's great. He really does the research. It's very exciting and interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. you might say that he's not just a conjurer of some cheap conjecture. <gasps> that, was actually, that was Neil's joke earlier. I, just to, I totally just stole <laughs> Neil's joke.
2: Like it's, oh, it's all fair game in the writing room, people.
3: <laughs> You're just a thieving hobbit, Marcel Cosman. Yeah,
1: that's true. I ain't been thieving no lines, sir. <laughs> Terrible! It's not even funny. It's not even. It's not, never mind. Even, I don't another do drink.
3: If we're talking about our feelings of who we'd like to grow up to be in Lord of the Rings, yeah. then like 100, it's it's Strider. You know, for me, mm-hmm. it's not it's not even Aragorn. It's it's the guy who's like lost in the wilderness, completely in control of the wild, Ooh. and uh, you know he can see in the dark that long luscious greasy hair
1: yeah one of the really unfortunate things about this film adaptation is that we really only spend like 30 seconds with strider and then he turns into like descended king King. aragorn which is like not nearly as interesting or sexy to be honest
2: yeah uh, one thing that i really like about the movies in particular is that they really give off the feel of a whole secondary world that's consistent in and of itself and that has this whole rich kind of worlds without reference to our world directly it's all sort of allegorical
3: i mean that's because it was shot on location yeah in the southern hemisphere yeah exactly in
2: metal earth a bizarre other world that i have no experience of
3: (laughs) i mean it's really expensive airfare
2: yeah yeah. oh absolutely absolutely I, i actually did really want to know why marcel loves this movie
1: I'm not joking when I say that the sweeping shots of the sweeping landscape shots I'm I'm really into. To be honest, I think of the trilogy The Two Towers is my favorite, so we'll talk about that when we get to the to the Two Towers film, but I prefer to put on the Fellowship of the Ring when I just want something in the background, like if I am if I need to do other things like clean the house or like, I don't know, like nurse a baby for 10 hours in a day, something like that. Like I, I like having the Fellowship because, first of all, it takes 10 hours and you get introduced to the majority of your major characters, which is really nice. You get to see Rivendell. You get to see Gimli and Legolas duke it out. They're not really buds yet, which is super but I think the real reason is because I would love to live in the Shire. I think deep in my heart, like, I'm a hobbit. If I was going to be a character from Lord of the Rings, I would obviously be a hobbit. Oh, yeah, <laughs> me too. I really
0: felt like I felt like I came home to fantasy as a genre when I saw the representation of hobbits. And I was like... What there's room for short, fat, fat people with curly hair in fantasy novels? <laughs> At last, and
1: hairy feet, and Don't hairy, hairy feet, my Hannah. hairy
0: hairy feet. My strong fondness for eating just like really carb heavy meals. I'm very into and ale. ale. And smoking pipe weed. I love pipe weed. I would just like to like on a Saturday night. All I want to do is just like sing some thumpy folk songs with my friends in a tavern. Like it's just perfect. It's really perfect. And we were. So Neil read out loud to us um, as we were prepping today this uh, this letter that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote where he is explaining the, the metaphorical relationship of the Shire to the rest of the world. What was that? Can you do you remember it well enough to summarize it?
2: I could only paraphrase it, but it was essentially about how the Shire is deliberately an exciting and sort of everyday, as compared to the really alluring, exciting, larger than life events that are taking place outside of the Shire.
1: That's obviously nonsense, because the Shire is the most <laughs> exciting part of the films. But like, whatever Tolkien, like whatever your idea <laughs> of exciting is, I would watch an entire
0: movie set in the Shire.
2: And of course, as you know, here on Tolkien, female characters were really big on authorial intent, which is why we endlessly pore over the various letters and notes that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote.
1: God bless you, Neil. <laughs>
0: Grab your dragon fireworks and put on your furry feet because it's time for Conjurers of Cheap Tricks, our discussion of the special effects and film techniques of the Lord of the Rings movies. And I think that we need to start with a really urgent question that I think Trevor had, which is how do they make the hobbits smaller than humans?
3: How do they make the hobbits smaller (laughs) than
2: humans? That's what I want to know. (laughs) I think it's a combination of forced photography. Uh, so the camera's at a really particular angle. So It sounds like slave labor or something. <laughs> well, if, I mean, machines. <laughs> I get Forced perspective is oh, what I'm thinking of. Sorry. I mean, they also, didn't they build the sets to, to be to the wrong scale? So the sets are actually built to make normal humans look smaller. So it's actually Ian McKellen is bit larger than a normal person. Like he's up on a box or something a multi-million dollar box
0: i don't know you don't know (laughs) what if in the darkest timeline neil doesn't know anything about how films work (laughs) and only the baby knows
1: one of the things that I find the most impressive about these films, and especially about this first one, is the way that they so spectacularly make the size difference between two actors who are relatively similar heights seem mm. seem astounding, right? Mm. Like Gandalf looks enormous and all of the hobbits look regular sized until you take the hobbits out of the Shire and then all of a sudden Gandalf is regular sized and the hobbits look like children, mm. you know, as, yeah. as Aragorn says in... The second movie, which we're not talking about yet. Apparently that one really is my favorite, because I keep yeah. wanting to talk about what happens in that movie.
3: The other really notable thing about special effects in this movie is how there's a wizard battle yeah. between mm. Gandalf and Saruman. But there's no, like, splashy effects of fire and, like, lasers blasting and explosions. It's just, it's mm-hmm. all unseen, invisible force that they're, like, knocking back mm. and forth. Yeah. Which is really effective. And they, like, They'll get knocked down and there'll be a cut, but you don't—you can't see where it came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They don't have wands. They have they, oh, they staffs. They have staffs. giant stabs. Yeah. That's like a man's wand, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you know, listeners, I'm really into like thinking about camera angles and shot lengths. <laughs> sort of famously into shot lengths. <laughs> one of the things that really stands out in this movie is that there are a lot of really sort of ostentatiously strange camera shots right like things there's one really important scene where Frodo and Gandalf are talking to each other and Gandalf's face like the cameras zoomed way in on his face and is looking at him through a chandelier Yeah. which is like a crazy choice or that scene where when Gandalf and Saruman are talking and they're in the garden and then the sound of their conversation continues but the camera cuts to an empty room and then it's like the camera has to go find them and it has to sort of move through the halls to figure out where they are and so there's this disjunction between the sound of their voices which continues at regular volume and the camera's relationship to that sound and to the location of the characters like the film feels filmic it's not at all sort of naturalistic it's never trying to make you forget the presence of the camera it's really like highly stylized in a way that i think is part of why for somebody like marcel um it endures as a pleasurable watching experience so many times
1: you know it's a really good comparison is like one of those like harry potter movies you oh, know with like yeah. the really shitty cgi like those just like they just don't hold up like the fourth one what was the fourth one the goblet of the goblet of like dragons the goblet, the goblet of dragons, of dragons. Yeah. Yeah, with the, like, underwater scenes that are just so... Ugh. God.
2: And and those wizard battles in those movies are all people throwing entire spectral animals at each other. It's pretty weird. It's weird. It's too much. It's over the top.
1: Yeah. Like, I've only only seen a couple of them, so I don't really remember a whole lot because I just saw them when they came out in theaters and, like, that's about... But, like, from what I remember, they're not very good.
0: The other really dumb thing about those movies is that they're just not going to age well, right? Like, a movie like this is what has it been like a decade
1: it's been like 12 13 years like
0: that's amazing been. because they still look like movies that could have come out last year yeah. right they're still so beautiful yeah. whereas one of those like i think i watched like the second one of those henry potter? <laughs> <laughs> henry potter henry thank you henry potter movies recently and it was just like god this feels dated mm-hmm. right like nobody's gonna want to talk about these mm-hmm. like a year after they're done
2: so it makes me really wish i gotten that film degree
1: <laughs> That's obviously where we're going to end well, that segment. really let this one develop <laughs> What? What's that in the distance? Is that a reindeer? Is it some sort of hanukkah tree? I guess it's time to answer the question, what dear elf I see? Our segment on homoerotic tensions in Tolkien's Oeuvre.
0: So obviously this section being named after the clear homoerotic relationship between, I mean, just Legolas and every other character who's proximate to him at any time. Yes. You know, that that's the, the relationship that we spent a lot of time talking about. But I want to branch out a little bit and talk about a homoerotic relationship in the films that I don't think gets discussed much because it's it's buried pretty deeply but it's uh Sam and Frodo you guys notice how deeply buried that particular homoeroticism is
3: I, I don't see it Hannah what are you talking about
1: okay so like we already know that elves in the series are a metaphor for women. And so I think we need to consider first Sam's excitement and delight over the idea of going to Rivendell to see the elves, right? Like Sam really wants to see elves because he's obviously never seen a woman before. So I think what we need to do is understand first that he is a character who's only ever experienced uh, men. And so his love is like a pure and profound love for men already. And elves, again, which are a metaphor for women, are just the sort of mystical other that he has yet to experience.
2: Also, I'd like to point out, since we really like to bring in, you know, research to this podcast, uh, according to the end of Return of the King, Sam does come back and have an exceptional 13 children (gasps) with uh, that hobbit lady. A character who's so important that she actually only appears in that last part of Return of the King where it's explained that they had many children. So, you know, I'd just like to point out that pretty much, pretty much totally refutes this whole thing.
0: But if we return to Tolkien's intentions with the series, I think what he really meant to do with female characters like Rosie is sort of set them up as symbols that stand against the kinds of eroticized adventuring that Sam and Frodo do Mm -hmm. throughout the rest of the movie. Right. So there's this, I mean, there's this, this way in which the wider world is a world for men. Mm -hmm. The wider world of adventure is a world in which men move Mm -hmm. and, um, the women obviously belong only in the domestic sphere, which is the Shire, yeah. right? And they're strongly affiliated with, uh, you know, eating, sleeping, and begetting. What were those? Yeah. Tol- Tolkien's yeah. big three major life activities. Mm-hmm. And so it's also just a sign of Sam's sexual maturation, right? There's mm-hmm. sort of this mm-hmm. this implication yeah. that being out in the world – having your sort of homosocial period of adventure is something that you get over eventually and then you go home and you stop having fun and you beget 13 children
1: this conversation actually really reminds me of of one of the things that peter jackson's adaptations do that really trouble me and what he does is he he seems to try to empower the female characters um from Tolkien's books so like Arwen is the best example of this because Arwen shows up unaccompanied on a horse uh, out looking for her lover and when she finds them Frodo is in need of help so she then takes him back to Rivendell because she's we're supposed to believe that she's the faster rider like she's supposed to ride faster than Aragorn (gasps) But so in the books, that's her father, which makes infinitely more sense, right? Like, it makes so much more sense that he would be out riding around while she was at home waiting for this man who she loves to, like, come and visit her on occasion or, like, whatever. I don't know what their situation is. I don't really remember. But, I mean,
3: they're both elves. So they're both basically women. So I feel like your analysis is falling apart there.
1: I hear what you're saying, Trevor, but, like, even... Like, even within the metaphor, you need to have things that are realistic and you need to have things that are, like, fantastic. Okay? And I think we can all agree that, like, an unaccompanied lady, like, riding around on a horse is just, it's, like, it's lewd. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing a really bad job at our feminist podcast. Like, I don't know how to... I don't know how to feminist with Tolkien.
0: I know. I mean, I feel like we set out with this project to try to, you know, actually talk about the female characters and there's, it feels like there's something about the series that makes it really hard to actually take women seriously. Neil, I think you had a theory about that. It's as though there
2: aren't really any female characters of note whatsoever, as though the story is really only interested in this completely homosocial world where actually what matters more is the relationship between you know races which are also all just versions of humans and humans are just called men like like that's all that matters
0: i think you're forgetting there are racialized others they're just horrifying and monstrous or persians (laughs) They don't call them Persians, but I'm pretty sure that's what they're supposed to be, right? But it's strange because it's not
2: exactly an allegory, right? They are actually races in the story. I don't know what the deal is with fantasy using the word race as though it's a real thing,
0: Mm. but I really wish that would stop. If only we could write a letter to J.R.R. Tolkien in the past saying, this way in which you've essentialized race in your fantasy world, as though it is like a fundamental and unbridgeable difference between people like that's actually a pretty damaging discourse.
1: Peter Jackson is still like alive and well and winning Oscars, certainly not for the Hobbit trilogy, but whatever. We'll move on to that when we get to the Hobbit movies in this like po- in episode this po- 400. Yeah, episode 400. <laughs> but films are certainly as I would say maybe more guilty than the books because the Urukai are black-skinned wow. men, right? So like the orcai actually vilify black masculinity because you actually have that visual representation. So what what might we what might we say to Peter Jackson? Like he might even listen to this podcast, like I don't know.
0: One second, like I have a great idea, we're going to collectively write a letter.
1: Dear Peter
2: Jackson, why
1: did you <laughs>
2: make such a
1: racist
2: movie?
0: Can you please not <laughs> Oh, I think we're done. I think we're done. (laughs) Sincerely Tolkien female characters.
2: This does make me think about how those mirror universes and things in fiction are often really excessively masculinized. Mm -hmm. Like even the, you know, Spock has a goatee. Right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And what's amazing about that is the very, like, the idea that our universe isn't masculine enough. And so they need to, like, ramp up the patriarchy in order to make it, like, more like fantastic and unbelievable that's yeah, so strange
3: I think it's because you know even in this universe men are uncomfortable with masculinity to some extent so when they see a darker timeline it's just even like worse it's, like right. more entrenched mm. than what they already have to makes deal with
1: that's a re- that's really interesting, Trevor. As as someone who like disavows all remnants of masculinity, it's not a thing that I would ever have observed. I just assume all masculinity is bad 100% <laughs> of the time.
2: My theory is that this series is basically agnostic about the existence of women. What do you mean? It doesn't matter if there are female characters that, or at all. I think actually weirdly, the reading of it as being sort of homoerotic misogynist i feel like is actually probably the most generous reading of the gender politics of it that you can do and i understand it seems apparent that peter jackson is aware enough of that to create roles for female characters and female actresses i I mean i don't really think it works a hundred percent i think basically if these movies were more connected to our real world, that would come across as incredibly disturbing and strange. I think it's the allegorical mode that lets it get away with it.
1: Jeez, Neil, I don't know. Like, that's really interesting. Are you suggesting that, like, women might be able to play, like, a stronger role in these kinds of
0: stories? I think what Neil might actually be suggesting is that the very structure of these kinds of stories are not welcome to women characters, that to some degree trying to find a feminist reading of a series like this is just to not productive because this whole narrative was
1: created to structurally exclude women god i'd never i'd never really thought about it that way before so like maybe there's something in the actual like form that is antagonistic to me like as a as a reader maybe i deserve more Maybe maybe I deserve like representation and not just a Tolkien representation, am I right, ladies?
0: <laughs> am
1: I right? <laughs> By God, I think you are on to something. all token have we done what have we
0: done cancel the podcast right now in a million years they'll find it 12 episodes and a twitter feed that reads here lies poor all these these men? Never. And nobody here can see see the the problem. problem. How could they? That all we we ever wanted wanted were some strong female characters. characters. Why does patriarchy ruin everything? Well, what the heck? We did our witch please best and probably no one else will even listen. That's true. And, and for, for a, a moment, why we had a film degree guy who explained some interesting details to us. He did. And for the first time since, we can't remember when, we felt just like our old witchy selves again. And we are the Witch Please hosts. That's right. We are the Witch Please hosts. Ha ha ha! Can't wait until 2016 because we've got some new ideas that that will extend the podcast's run. And by by God, we're really gonna give it all our might. Uh oh. We hope hope there's there's still still time to to set things right. That was perfect. I want to listen to it. I don't want to think about it again. It was perfect. (laughs) in honor of this very special deeply surreal witch please holiday special we're gonna add one last segment Mm. which i have titled epic wizard rap battle in which we talk a little bit more and a little bit less ironically about why it is that we think that the Harry Potter series is so open to the kinds of conversations we want to have and the Lord of the Rings seems to be all parody aside so resistant to the kind of reading that we thrive on
1: and it's a question that we we have been asked by the good people who have interviewed us in the past but I'm really interested in hearing what um, Neil and Trevor have to say on the topic, because they've never had to answer that question.
2: That makes me think about uh, the live show and how we were talking about how without believing that Harry Potter is necessarily a feminist text, that it is hospitable to feminist readings, that it's possible to recuperate it in a feminist way without struggling Against the overwhelming trend of the text, and I think when you look at Lord of the Rings, you can see what a text looks like that not out of sloppiness or lack of thought, doesn't have that same ability to be looked at that way so I, I think basically it's that it's it's that the texts themselves uh have a different relationship to gender entirely I would say and and I do think it's because Lord of the Rings is. Pretty obsessed with race, hmm. uh, to the exclusion of a lot of other things.
3: Yeah, I've never really thought about it, but I mean, I'll just put it out there that uh, Lord of the Rings was written by a man at the beginning of the 20th century, and Harry Potter was written by a woman after you know second wave feminism. Always trying to distort things. Harry Potter has women characters, so that makes it a lot more open to talking about women. I don't know. It's, it's certainly structural in that sense.
1: I was thinking about that too, Trevor, and how, like, I like as much as I hate to essentialize, because I do think it's possible for women to write ludicrous misogynist drivel, um, and for men to write really well thought out, excellent feminist texts, there does seem to be something in the fact that like Tolkien is a man who wrote a book about men for men and then J.K. Rowling wrote a book that is about a boy who becomes a man and interacts with women and girls. And like maybe maybe there's something to that, but like I'm really I'm really reluctant to like make an essentialist argument that like women are just more likely to write women. Hmm?
0: I mean, I don't think it's essential. I don't think it's necessarily, as Trevor was saying on the other side of the room, and so not on Mike, I don't think it's necessarily an essentialist argument, which is women are socialized to actually see a much wider range of humans as human and to see a much wider range of the people that they encounter as possessing interesting subjectivity. Whereas Mm -hmm. it's still possible for a male author today to say that he can't write women characters because he just doesn't understand women. Right. Which is just shocking bullshit because that's 50 percent of the human population. And fuck you. You know, especially when, as Neil was saying earlier, especially when that's in fantasy. where It's like you can write space travel, but not women. Cool. Right. And so I think part of part of it is that right, that we're that somehow Tolkien can imagine this incredible fantasy world. He can construct multiple languages and multiple races and he can't imagine space a space in that world for women that isn't the domestic sphere right mm-hmm. and that and that suggests to us again something of you know we we i think we think of the a lot of the possibilities of fantasy and sci-fi as genres that can really radically imagine themselves out of their historical context and then as Marcela, as you well know studying the history of this genre all you have to do is look back at some of it and you're like mm, not doing a great job
1: you you don't even need to look back you can just look at the really hostile male authors and male and male readership of contemporary sci-fi who are just so completely antagonistic to the idea that like sf as a genre should include more radical constructions of society in which you know gender may be different from what it is and I think, like, I have never been able to make it all the way through the Lord of the Rings series. Um, the book versions, obviously the movies are a completely different thing because I don't need to listen to what they are saying. They can just be on in the background. But for the books, I had to stop reading it because I just got so exhausted with the fact that the that the actual female characters don't play a significant role. And I know that Eowyn does go into battle and she does perform this really important task of... Killing the witch king of Angmar. That's the it's that's the I mean I didn't oh God, this is so embarrassing. When men talk about things that they haven't read, they're just like, Yeah, that's what happened. You're like <laughs> And then you who have read it are like, oh, oh, I feel like I remember it differently, but like you must be right. Anyway. I'm correct. A man has told me that I'm correct. So <laughs> So the fact that there's like a single female character who plays that role demonstrates that it is possible to imagine it, but you can only imagine it in this realm, like as an exception, you know? So Eowyn becomes the exception that proves the rule. She is the exception who goes out there into battle, survives, but only then to go back into the domestic. Mm -hmm. She is unique and special as opposed to women are capable of fighting in battles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that felt good. Yeah,
0: that did feel good.
1: Well, thank God we're back. And you know what? Just in time to say happy holidays to all of our favorite witches. Are you ready?
0: Could do making Christmas. Right. Mother fungus, Jordan Ruth, Q Rainbow Warrior and fun. <laughs> or or it could be <laughs> Mother Fungus, Jordan Ruth, Q Rainbow Warrior and fine. Last Nora. Seen and heard yake another great et cetera.
1: You're doing this now.
0: (laughs) Andrew Brett's jazz confuses people. Paula Gabriella's pewter wolf thirteen caveats quorum. Aaron, Emily, Anne, Vivian, Yamar, shameless Edmonton orers. Destiny Nichols, Zed Taruff, Rachel Big Eyes, Matt Domville, Efiya S, Indigo Han, Holly Dun Design, Jesse says, Spark Lily, Smara Fibrous Ruth. Udbookflow. Dear Alina, Mick, Jack, Joe, 1985, M W U Boys, Alicia Ardelian, Mystic Warrior, Sophie Bimlio, Coral Miss Chelsea Chen, Guts Magazine, Zach Alex Young, Physics Katie. Fritz Lashaw, Janie Canuck, Katerina Hoven, the Mirage Child Dasselch, Savannah Goyette, Lisa or Melissa, came to Uterp's Delight. Meldal Gleesh, Nemo's winter, short to the point, proletarian, arts Katie has an bank-broken tape deck, S.M. Arbuthnot, it's just Roar, Emily Hoven, Libogen and Karinasaurus You guys want to sing a, a chorus with me? Sure. Silver, Silver bells, bells Silver bells, bells it's, it's holiday time,
3: time in, in the city
0: <laughs> ring a hear, hear them ring
1: Will be Great holiday
0: time, time. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful.
1: I'm so I've internalized Christmas so deeply into my into my soul. Thank you all so much for joining us for our Witch Please holiday special. If you'd like to hear the rest of our episodes, you can find them at OwitchPlease.ca or subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. And please join us on Twitter at oh Please. We love to hear from you. Also, as you may have noticed, there are some phenomenal songs in this episode uh, that were adapted from very real songs written and composed by Danny Elfman uh, from The Nightmare Before Christmas. If you would like to see our spectacular lyrical adaptations Uh, we have posted the lyrics up on our blog ohwitchplease.ca so you can uh, listen and sing along
0: we'll be back in the new year with another episode of some variety who even knows what we do here now but until then later witches
3: Sauron gets the ring of power elves and humans all will cower and woe will come to everyone so now correct me if i'm wrong (laughs) nope
0: nope you wrote it why can't you sing it